The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Hello, New Covenant Community Church, and welcome to our YouTube page, our podcast, our website, however it is that you're joining in with us. We are glad that you are here with us today. This is the pre-recorded sermon that we'll be preaching on May the 24th out in our parking lot for our last drive-in service before we move our services inside on May the 31st. Let me give you just a couple quick announcements and updates uh, as you're joining with us. I first want to say thank you to everyone who helped and was involved with our food drive last week. We collected much more than I expected, and I'm just so grateful to serve alongside you and to see that our community is well-fed through the avenue of our food pantries that are local to us. So thank you. I love you so very much, and I'm glad to be able to serve alongside you in that way. Uh, and as I said just a moment ago, we'll be moving services back inside our church building on May the 31st. And we are excited about that. That is Pentecost Sunday. And I posted a video regarding the details of moving our services back inside. If you have not yet seen that, please go to our website, www.new-covenant.org, and watch that video. I go into some details that are important to moving our services back inside on May the 31st. What we have become convinced of uh, is that it is a safe and wise time in which to move our services in. Uh, now, I am convinced for me and my family, uh, personally, that coming into a church building that has been cleaned and predominantly has been empty throughout the week is safer and arguably far safer than going into a grocery store, for example, where there are thousands of people daily walking in and out with hundreds of thousands of surfaces and items that have been touched. And uh, so that's what I'm convinced of. But if you are not convinced of that, that is okay. Uh, this is a free country, and you are certainly entitled to, to feel that way. And I want to say that simply to also say that if you choose not to come to church yet, if you choose to continue joining our online services through our website and doing your online giving that way, uh, you don't love Jesus any less because you've chosen to do that for your health. Uh, as you will hear me say in the video, we want you to be in the driver's seat of your health. And uh, so we believe that it's a safe time, but, but you be convinced of that before you come to church and, uh, and make that clear in your own mind. Uh, so we're excited about that. I'll also say about that May 31st day, uh, if you are attending or not attending and say you choose to stay at home and join the next couple weeks or however long it is until you're comfortable joining back in with the church family here in our building, uh, we are going to have a Facebook event that we invite you to go on Facebook and share that event around. Uh, if you plan to be here, mark that you'll be going to let people know of the rebirth of New Covenant Community Church. We're so very excited about it. We have a newly uh, decorated front of the church here, the stage. Thank you to Tim and Joseph and Beth and for all of your help and in, in, in helping redesign the front of our stage here. We're excited about May the 31st. So without further ado... It's time for us to preach and to see that Jesus is lifted high in our lives. Amen? And we're excited to be preaching today. We've been preaching about weapons, church. We've been preaching about unlikely weapons, things that we have 
things and experiences that we have that in God's hands can be used mightily for His kingdom. We've preached about useful weapons. How to personally be a a useful and lasting weapon in God's hands as we progress through life and accomplish what it is that God has called us to do. We've preached about Christian weapons, things that are available to the Christian based not on who we are, but because of who God is. Of how we can come against opposition and the enemy of our souls, the devil. And I just want to tell the testimony that, you know, I've always felt led of the Holy Spirit ever since I've been in ministry. But these past number of weeks, I have felt led of the Spirit more than I ever have before. Clear direction. A strong guiding force in my life. The Holy Spirit has been so close and I've been hearing Him so clearly and I'm so grateful unto the Lord for that. So if you've been praying for me for that specifically, that is an answered prayer because because God has been guiding me and I'm very grateful unto the Lord for that. Today I believe will be the last message in our series about weapons. And I'd like to preach about a concept that is so plain and so evident in Scripture, I'm quite frankly, I'm shocked that I've not pondered it or preached it before. But with the Holy Spirit's help, I've seen this concept fresh and anew, and I'm just delighted to be able to share this idea with you today out of God's Word. I'd like to preach on what we could call transferred weapons. Transferred weapons. Now let's not waste any time and go right to God's Word. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, you say, Pastor Ben, that's where we were last week. Amen. And that's where we're this week too, as among other scriptures. So have your Bibles handy and ready to flip through them. But we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 first and verse 50. As we see this principle of transferred weapons, we see this in the life of David Goliath as we know that Samuel chapter 17 covers this amazing story that hopefully we all know very, very well. And, and we pick up in verse 50 of chapter 17 where it tells us about David having prevailed over the giant. And in verse 50 it says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So what's happening here? Goliath is a a well-armored, warring man. He has weapons that would have been honed perfectly. The, The Philistines were accomplished in the art of blacksmithing, we know from Scripture. And undoubtedly, this weapon, this sword and the javelin and the spear, the things that Goliath had with him and had at his disposal, the, the devil would have allowed the Philistines to create those things with the understanding that these were supposed to be the weapons that, that killed God's people. Perhaps even the devil thought that knowing that David and his family and his brothers would be at the battle line, that he thought that the sons of Jesse, David and his brothers, this sword will, will cut them in two. And, and the very weapon that was in the enemy's hand, David kills Goliath with this sling, and there's, there's no sword found in the hand of David. And God transfers this weapon that was to kill David, transfers it into David's hand, and that same weapon was transferred against the enemy. And this is not the only example. We can go right into our Bibles. 
through 2 Samuel, then go through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we come to the book of Esther. And we know that story as well too, and there's a story of transferred weapons in this as well. Esther chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we know that Haman in this story was a wicked man. He was a God-hating man, and he hated God's people. And he had this issue with this Jewish man called Mordecai. And Mordecai would not bow down to Haman like all the other people would, and, and Haman hated him for it. He hated the Jewish people and their God because of Mordecai not bowing down, this, this one certain Jew named Mordecai, the Bible says. And we know that this story, this relative of Mordecai, Esther, is the queen of the king in this area, and the queen does something, Esther, she does something that takes amazing courage. She goes before the king uninvited, which could have gotten her killed, and she exposes Haman in this terrible, wicked plan that was, was done around so that the king didn't know about it, and the king is outraged that Haman, this man that's supposed to be the right-hand man of the king, has somehow made this dreadful plan, the enemy has made this dreadful weapon against God's people. And the king is so outraged, the Bible says that he walks off into the garden. And then when he comes back in, he, it's almost as if the king is going out. He's trying to figure out what to do with Haman, this guy who's trying to kill all the, the lineage and the people of his own queen. And he comes back in, he sees Haman. And we pick up in verse, not, verse 9 of Esther 7, and it says, Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, one of the servants of the king, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath was subsided. So this dreadful, wicked weapon, these gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai as, as the one Jew that he wanted to kill, and he was going to kill the rest of them, this, this weapon that had been formed against God's people. Because of Esther's great courage, we see the transfer. There was, Esther had no way of bringing this thing around and turning it around to save her people, but, but God transferred the weapon from the enemy's hand into their hands, into her hand, because of her great courage. And the examples don't end their church. Now go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know their story of the king Nebuchadnezzar building this huge, great statue, and there was this decree put out that when the music played, that all the people were to bow down to this huge statue that had been built. And these three young, very young Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down to this statue. They know that that is forbidden. They're only to bow down and worship the Lord God only. And they knew that if they didn't, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace that they would be killed. And we pick up on their response when they've been accused of this not bowing down and not worshiping this false idol. And, and here's their response in Daniel chapter 3, verse 22. It says, Therefore, because the king commanded, command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the, these men, these soldiers who undoubtedly knew how to work this furnace, they, 
they were the ones to, to put their hands on these innocent boys and throw them into this fire. And, and we know the story that Jesus was in them with the fire. And they're walking around completely unscathed and unburnt and unharmed. And the wicked men, the men that threw them in, the fire was supposed to be killing them, but, but God transferred the weapon into their hands and the very men that put their hands on these, on these boys to throw them into the fire, they were the ones themselves that died. The weapon had been transferred. The devil's plan to use this fiery furnace to kill these three Hebrew boys that were only worshiping God had been turned around to kill the wicked men. The weapon had been transferred. I'll give you one more example and I could give you hundreds. There are so many of these throughout Scripture. In Daniel chapter 6, just a few verses, few chapters over, we know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And we know that the other officials, the other governors of the area were very, very jealous of Daniel. The Bible says that there was an excellent spirit in Daniel, that he did his work with excellence and he was trustworthy. And God blessed the work of His hands. And they were so jealous, they hated Daniel, and they knew that he was a praying man. And they, they made this law that anyone who would pray the way that Daniel was doing and, and not paying homage to the king in a certain way would be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. And the Lord saves him. He sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lion. It's a wonderful a wonderful story. The king runs back to where the den is. The king was upset that Daniel would have to be thrown. And he, Daniel created much prosperity in the kingdom. Daniel was a loved and trusted man by the king, but the, man had, the king had to do what he said he would do in this decree. And, and the devil thought that he had won. The devil thought that he had won when he had Daniel, the God-fearing man with an excellent spirit inside of him. The devil thought that he had used the lion in, in the den to, to take out Daniel. But we read what happens... In Daniel chapter 6, verse 24, it says, And the king gave the command. This is after they brought Daniel out of the den. The king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. The, the weapon that had been formed against Daniel had been transferred into his own hand. The, the wicked accusers, these people that hated him and accused him wrongfully and got, tried to get him killed, they were the very ones that this weapon was turned against. The lions had been turned against them. The weapon had been transferred. Now the very first thing that we notice out of these examples is that God does not transfer weapons to everyone. God transferred to Goliath's sword to David, but not to Saul, and not to all the other Israelites that were standing in the valley of Elah as they were seeing this battle unfold. It was not to those other people. The weapon was transferred to Esther and Mordecai, but not to the other Jews. It was only Esther that had the courage and the bravery to go before the king in the way that she did, and, and God placed her in that position because she was she was a brave woman. She was brave and courageous in what she was doing. And the weapon was transferred to them, but not to the others. The weapon was transferred to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but not to the other 50, potentially 50,000 other Israelites that were in the Babylonian captivity that were all bowing down to this idol. It was only to these three Hebrew boys. The weapon was transferred to them, but not to the others. The weapon was transferred to Daniel, 
but not the other Jewish officials in the kingdom. Not the other people that were serving in similar capacities as him. It was only Daniel whom this weapon was transferred to. So the question on the table today is, what kind of person does God transfer weapons to? What kind of person can the devil be be honing a weapon against them? This spiritual or even physical attack against someone. What's the kind of person that the devil can be doing that for and God will say, I'm going to take the weapon out of the devil's hands, I'm going to place it in this person's hands, and with that same weapon, he's going to destroy the work that the devil had intended to inflict upon that person. What kind of person is that? If you're ready to know what kind of person that is, say amen wherever it is that you are. Now, these observations, these points, if you will, are very, very basic observations you don't have to have a degree in theology to understand these so i hope you listen closely and glean much from god's word today number one god transfers weapons to those who are courageous enough to stand out i'll say that again god transfers weapons to those who are courageous enough to stand out imagine david this young shepherd boy among this thousands of Israelite army and and there's Goliath he's the one that's taunting them and calling out to them and cursing their God and and he was the only one willing to go out there that took some courage I don't care what that picture looked like I don't care how good he was with that sling it took courage for David to stand out in this situation it took great courage for Esther to do what she did And going before the king, a thing that she knew was against the law and could very well be her death. The Hebrew boys knowing the same, that them not bowing to the big idol could very well, very likely be their torturous death. They knew that. Daniel knew it. Daniel knew that the decree had been set that he was not to pray the way he was, but he was was courageous enough to stand out. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart are loyal to Him. Imagine, church and dear friends, imagine for a moment if you and I could go back in time. Knowing the story of David and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Esther and Daniel. Imagine knowing what we know now. If you and I could somehow go back in time and preach to Saul and the Israelites as they stand up on the foothill of the mountain of the valley of Elah, shaking in their boots or sandals as it were being in biblical times, shaking in fear from this foe and from this enemy, what would we preach to them? What would we preach to the Jews in the kingdom in Esther's day who, who did not have the courage that Mordecai and Esther did? What, what would we preach to those? What about the 50,000, potentially 50,000 Israelites that were bowing down to worship Nebuchadnezzar's great big idol statue what would we preach to them what would we preach to the other jews that were in the babylonian exile with daniel that were serving in other governing official ways even while in this captivity they were serving in those types of of capacities and and not praying and and they were just going along with whatever What, what would we preach to those people church if you and i could just stand in a valley and sit all those people down on a hillside and preach them i know i already know what we preach them we'd fill our lungs with breath and we'd say where is your courage where is your god do not trust 
in Him? Do you not know what He has done? Do you not trust Him? Where is your courage? There's no reason to fear Israelites. There's no reason to fear this wicked government. There's no reason to fear this enemy and foe. We would say, where is your courage? Perhaps we would even bring up Isaiah 26 verse 3 telling them that God will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on the Lord because they trust in their God. Let me ask you a question, church. Let me ask you a question. What was the last, when was the last time that you stood out for God? When was the last time that you did something of great courage that, that made you do something different than what everyone else was doing, than what every other church was doing? When was the last time that you did something that made you stand out? When was the last time that you've even heard of someone standing out? When was the last time that you've heard of someone that's struggling with pornography and they choose to take whatever the device is that is the avenue through which they get that filth and pour it into their soul and pour it into their brain and pour it into their eyes? When was the last time that you've heard of them taking that device and setting it outside on the back deck and taking a baseball bat to it? When have you heard, even heard of someone standing out like that? When have you or even heard of someone else staying up all night to pray and to fast for someone who's, who's lost and will spend eternity in hell without Jesus? When have, you, when have you done that? When have you ever heard of someone? When have you heard of someone loving their neighbor regardless of the inconveniences with great sacrifice to one's own self and comfort? When have you heard of someone standing out for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and standing out in a courageous and bold kind of way? I know what we would say to that hillside of people, knowing the story, knowing the stories of God's great faithfulness and power. We'd look at those people and we would say, do you even have faith, Saul and Israelite army? Do you even have faith, Jewish people in this wicked government? Do you even, have do you even know God? Do you even know Him? Have you ever noticed that when someone goes to the beach for a week-long beach vacation, they'll come back home and their skin will be darkened and tanned by the sun? Why is that? It's because you can't spend that much time in the sun and not look different. And I don't know about you, church, but I want to spend enough time in the sun, not S-U-N, but S-O-N. I want to, I want to, I want to have enough of Him in me and to know enough of His Word and to live courageously enough that I stand out, that I would be the person that God would transfer a weapon to, that God's eyes would be going to and fro on the earth. And I want Him to be able to pick out and say, Ben Schwederman, there He is. He's a weak, broken vessel, redeemed of my blood. I'm going to take this weapon that was formed against Him. I'm going to put it in His, his hands. And He's going to be able to slay the work of the enemy because, because He's courageously willing to step out in faith and trusting me. If Say amen if you hear what I'm preaching wherever it is that you are. We are to live courageously and boldly for God, trusting that He knows the end and, can ha and has the power, church. He has the ability to take weapons from the enemy's hands and to place them into ours and to slay the work in our families, in our lives, in our own spiritual lives, and in our church. We have the ability to trust God in such a way that He would give us something that would give us great power over the enemy. Number two, Number two, God transfers weapons to those who are willing to take risks. God transfers weapons 
to those who are willing to take risks. It was very risky, church. It was risky for David to go against this giant with only a sling. It was a risky thing for Esther to go to the king and expose Haman with this crazy crime, this, um, this conspiracy. I mean, it was unbelievable what happened. And, and she knew that it was a risk. And we know for a fact, the Bible says in Esther 4.16, Esther says, Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That is bravery. That is great courage. What a wonderful story we have in the book of Esther. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that it was a risky thing. They knew that what, what it was that they were signing themselves up for. They say, in Daniel 3, verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They knew that them going into this situation for them very well might have meant a death sentence. And they did it anyway. It was a risky thing. And these three Hebrew boys, young boys, had the courage to take this risk. We know that Daniel, he knew the re very likely and, and probable repercussions of his actions as well. In Daniel 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, when Daniel knew that the law had been put into place that would prohibit him from praying the way that he did, when now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and went into his upper room and with his window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days he he accepted the risk he was willing to take this risk and we see that God transferred amazing weapons into their hands because of those things i think that just perhaps church i think that just perhaps the greatest victory that the devil has over the american church is comfort comfort people will leave churches because they aren't comfortable be it in the seats or be it the color of something that they don't like be it for whatever reason they will leave churches for the they will leave simply for the fact that they are made to feel uncomfortable sometimes even for a very short period of time some people because of a desire for comfort they won't even evangelize that they will be disobedient to Jesus and not fulfill the Great Commission because they feel like their churches, that they know everyone and it's this, it's this comfortable pocket. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be comfortable in church. Church is a soft place to land. It's, it's where we come with our mess and our brokenness and, and, and we, we let Jesus and everyone else see us as we are and we just, I mean, my goodness, if, if you could just see my life, it just poured out before Jesus and, and know that I'm a broken vessel. I'm not perfect. I need Jesus' grace more than anybody. It, but, but to be here and to, to, to love each other, I get that church is a comfortable place, but some people will, will go to the extent of not even obeying the Great Commission, not even saying hi to someone when they come in in fear of that the church may change and, and it doesn't look quite the same as it used to. And 
And, and think, of, think of what that person is saying, even if they're not saying it with their mouth and with their voice. Think of what that person is communicating to the rest of the broken world. They're saying, broken world, visitor who comes in, person that may upset the beautiful little apple cart that we've created, I'd rather you go to hell and burn for eternity so that I can be comfortable. That is what people say. Think of that. Think of how sick someone's soul has to be to be able to say that. And, and, and let me just tell you, church, I am susceptible to that, to that trap, to, to giving the devil that victory, and you are too. We are susceptible to the trap of becoming Pharisees. So Lord Jesus, I pray that You would save us from that. God, protect this church. Protect our own hearts. Protect this pastor from a religious spirit. From a religious heart. From being disobedient to You, God. My comfort is not the goal. Your kingdom and Your glory is the goal, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Lord Jesus, save us from the festering sinful desire of self-comfort. There was a man I heard that walked up to his pastor after the worship leader had sang a new song. And the elderly gentleman says, I didn't like that new song. And the pastor very rightly and very cleverly turned and said, well, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you anyhow. <laughs> you know, church, it's amazing to me that some years and years and years ago, after this former slave trader met Jesus, and his life was changed and he... He, he knew God and he, he didn't commit those sins anymore. And he saw the error of his way. He repented of his sins. He wrote this great song that goes something like, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And some, some church worship leader somewhere around that time, I don't know when it was, and I didn't, wasn't alive then, but I can guarantee you if I was allowed to bet money, I'd bet you lots of money that some church worship leaders somewhere saw all those years ago when they heard that song they think boy that's a great song i'm going to sing that song on sunday and they get up and sing this wonderful song of amazing that saved a wretch like me and then i can just i know i know that somewhere after that service somebody got up and said i don't like that new song <laughs> can you imagine lord save us from being those people. Save us from a religious spirit. Save us from that desire of comfort, of, of seeking self-comfort to the exclusion of other people's spiritual safety. So church, if you've tuned me out this whole time, I, I implore you to heed this next point, church. Okay, the things we've already covered. If God transfers weapons to those that are courageous and stand out, if that's true, and if God transfers weapons to those who are fearless enough to take risks, then number three and the final point, God is the source of both courage and fearlessness. I feel the Holy Spirit encouraging me to preach this. God is the source of both courage and fearlessness. Get this verse down in your soul and never forget it. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to His 
purposes it. If you believe that, say amen wherever it is that you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that God is able to work all things for our good when we love Him, that He has the power over the enemy to take the weapon out of His hands and place into into ours when we're courageous and fearless, trusting Jesus and trusting our Lord and Savior. Jeremiah 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Church, if you were to go and buy a vehicle and say it was a used one, so the previous owner takes the title and they sign it over to you, they transfer it to you, that transferred title is is incomplete and invalid unless it's been notarized. And can I just tell you, church, that the reason that we can have both be full of courage and thus empty of fear is because Jesus can notarize the transfer of the devil's weapons and place them into our hands. He has the power to do that. And the greatest example that we have is when Jesus hung on a cross and He bled and he died, and, and perhaps even that the devil saw the cross and the beating, and, and the devil thought that he had won with Jesus in the grave. But can I just tell you, church, that, that the transfer has been completed. It's been notarized in blood, and it's sealed and it's set with precious blood and, and totally made secure with an empty grave. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God for giving us ultimate victory over everything that would be the enemy of our souls would you pray with me wherever it is that you are right now say in your heart you don't need to repeat after me i'm just encouraging you i'm hoping to guide your heart and trusting jesus like you never have before would you trust him with your sin would you let would you let the transfer of death for a christian no longer has any power death was Death was the weapon that was forged in the pits of hell with the grimy, stinking fingers of the devil and it was intended to to harm you and me. But because Jesus has the power to transfer that weapon of death with His body and His blood on a cross in an empty grave, He transferred that wicked weapon and He turned it into the very thing that we ride into victory. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death used to be the thing that would harm me. Death used to be the thing that separated me from God. I'm not talking pastor words. I'm saying Ben Schwederman. Death used to be the thing that separated me from God. But now, because of what Jesus has done for me on a cross and paying my penalty and and satisfying the debt that I had acquired, now, death is the very thing that ushers me into victory. Is death the thing that will usher you into victory? Has Jesus forgiven you of your sins? Have you repented of your sins? Because if you'd like to do that, you can say something in your heart and mean it saying, Jesus, forgive me, I know I've sinned. God, I I don't want this weapon, this great weapon that's been formed. I, I, I know that my sin has made me a part of that. It's my rebellion against you, God, has has made me a a part of that. I don't want that for me, God. God, I want to be with You. I want to be with with You in victory. I want to be with You in the cross. And I want to be with You not in a grave anymore.
Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you've done that for the first time and you mean it, Jesus has forgiven you. Your home is not destruction in this this Christless reality called hell. Your home is now heaven in victory. And you have experienced a transfer of a weapon from the enemy's hands and into yours. And I certainly hope that is the case for you. I hope you've been encouraged today by God's Word. I love His Word. I love preaching His Word. And I love seeing my heart and your heart be changed because of what God has done for us. God bless you today. We look so very forward to seeing everyone in our parking lot this Sunday. And then the 31st, Pentecost Sunday, will be a rebirth of New Covenant Community Church. Please watch the video that was posted regarding the details about that reopening. God bless you. Please be in contact. Should you need anything or any prayer requests, we are always here for you. God bless you. We love you so very much. Have a great day.